0: podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health/podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today I have Benjamin Fells. As a guest, he's the founder and CEO at Macro Eyes. He leads teams that innovate and build systems that recognize predictive patterns. At Macro Eyes, they use machine learning to increase access to care. Their live clinical product at a two leading academic medical center institutions, they develop a supply chain analytics product for one of the largest value based healthcare systems in the US. Today, it's super important that we find ways to apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to healthcare, because let's face it, we're not able to scale the number of patients that need care with the number of providers that can give it. And so that's why I thought it'd be so timely to have Benjamin on the podcast today to talk to us a little bit about what they do at Macrowise as well as the concept of, of machine learning and how we could apply it in healthcare. So, Benjamin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, sir.
1: Thank you. The pleasure is mine.
0: So, Benjamin, did I leave anything out in your intro that maybe you wanted to have the listeners know more about?
1: No. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't love talking about myself, so maybe some other Pieces of the backstory of MacRise as a company, or, or my own history of working with MacRise, will sort of come out through this conversation. So I'd love to just dive into it.
0: Beautiful. Love that you opened that loop there. And so, what, you know, before we do dive into that, I'd love to hear what got you intrigued or interested in the medical sector to begin with.
1: Well, that's a good question because. I didn't train as a doctor. As a company, we've been working in healthcare now since since 2014, but its I bet it's a pretty unconventional route. So I'll sort of go backwards in time here to answer that. So All right. I've worked on what you could broadly call pattern recognition for many years. And I believe, and, and I'm pretty sure that most of the people here listening would agree with me, that healthcare poses the most complex and at the same time, most important problems in pattern recognition. This is where pattern recognition matters. So, okay, now let's go to sort of how I got to this point. So I graduated with a degree in the history of art and the way that I see the history of art as a series of exercises in pattern recognition, how one artist perceives, reflects on, interacts with art that came before art from other places, and there's a way to see that transformation, refraction of pattern. When I graduated college, I then went to go work for a quantitative hedge fund, first in Chicago, then in London. And nice. my job was to predict patterns and data faster, more accurately than our competitors. That was it. It was very clearly defined. I mean, there's in fact, great beauty in that, in that clarity. I led teams that traded global markets 24 hours a day, I led teams also that built autonomous agents. So, what I now know is called machine learning. So, basically, machines that looked at patterns and data in markets and and looked for signals that we might have missed and acted upon them. And financial markets as a whole are decades ahead of healthcare in terms of designing and implementing infrastructure for, I guess, what we could broadly call data driven decision making. So, designing systems that learn as reality on the ground changes. So it's everything in financial markets is always responding, reacting, learning. There's a very powerful, very heavily incentivized feedback loop there. Nothing is ever static. So essentially, I left this hedge fund to found a company so that I could take this approach, this mindset, and a bit of ideas for technology to where it is needed most. and we believe that's healthcare. And again, this concept that pattern recognition, the ability to detect patterns that are meaningful in large amounts of data, where that is the most important is in both the delivery of care and the practice of care. And I'll just speak a little bit about some of my colleagues in this company, because it's certainly, certainly not me doing this all on my own. So I found it with two other people, a chief design officer, and a chief AI officer. And maybe we'll get a little bit later in this conversation to why I think that mix is important. So Sebastian Cowpert, and Sebastian is our chief design officer, and he has had a really a career-long commitment to thinking through how healthcare organizations can best use data. And this is everything from huge global pharmaceutical companies to one of the first personal health data dashboards, which he designed for a company now more than 10 years ago. And Suvrid Sra is our lead AI officer. And Suvrid is a world-renowned expert in large-scale machine learning and optimization and a professor at MIT. So I hope I answered that question about sort of how, how I got to healthcare.
0: Absolutely. And you've now focused on this area. You've got a phenomenal executive leadership team there at your company. You're tackling data in healthcare and making insights. So as it relates to that, Benjamin, what would you say a hot topic that needs to be on every medical leader's agenda today? And how are you guys approaching it?
1: So I gave away this answer a bit already, and I hope this is the answer that many other leaders in healthcare would come to, but absolutely machine learning or AI. And again, maybe we could talk a little bit later about the distinction between those two. But again, this is medicine is pattern recognition and the delivery of care should be pattern recognition at scale, at speed. And the thing that is so unique about healthcare as an industry is that it is unparalleled in the richness Of the data that it holds that describes almost every one of us in incredible, detailed, meaningful clarity. And no other domain has both such an impact on human lives and has this incredible picture of each one of us. And I mean, all of us have experienced this for better or for worse. Every time we go to see a doctor or a nurse, they spend a lot of their time entering in data. And Speaking very, very, very broadly, and I'm going to ruffle some feathers here, very little of that data is effectively put to use to build what we could, again, say very broadly our learning systems for health. Very little of that data is learned from in a systematic structural way to personalize care, to make care more efficient. And I see absolutely no reason why that should continue to be the case
0: love your passion for this, Benjamin. And and I agree, you know, a lot of the data that we shovel into EMRs stays shoveled into silos that is and not accessible by anybody outside of the system. Definitely a problem, right? And so as you guys work to offer this solution to healthcare, you've decided on macro eyes. So can you give us a little bit more detail about what MacroWise is focused on and what's the problem? What's the solution you guys are providing?
1: Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit of, of the evolution of the company and also the problem that we're most focused on today. So we founded this company in 2014, and we spent a number of years refining and deploying core machine learning at a leading academic medical center in New York City, at Stanford, at one of the largest health systems in the United States, and at a number of federally qualified health centers across the country. And what came out of this experience was a couple of things. A very robust technology for understanding patient behavior and understanding patient behavior multidimensional. And what I mean by that is at many points in healthcare, the understanding of the patient is very, or at least the classification of the patient is very limited. 50 year old male, diabetic. But there are hundreds if not thousands of other data points and dimensions which are going to inform both the care that is most appropriate for that patient and how we should think about risk and also opportunity. And our expertise is that ability to build these very rich pictures of patients in time. And the other important thing that came out of this experience largely focused on clinical decision support. So during these years, we're working with physicians, physician scientists to answer clinical questions. And from a business perspective, probably the most important piece of this is that we, we got an understanding of healthcare as a business. Um, and as everybody listening here knows, it's a, it's a very complicated business. It's very difficult to To understand. Um, And I think we got an understanding of the problems that are solvable and the problems that are less solvable, particularly for a small company like ours. And one of those problems that came to us again and again and again, and from many different perspectives, is really twofold. One, schedules that don't work, schedules that aren't predictable, day that a provider has which is chaotic. So it's balanced between having 10 patients in the waiting room all waiting for the same slot and other periods of the day where four of the five patients who are scheduled don't show up. So it's it's sort of feast or famine. And there's a significant financial impact to that. There is a clinical impact to that. This is important to patients. It's important to administrators. It's important to physicians. Scheduling is really the front door to care. And our own response to that was to spend the last, now more than a year, developing and implementing and refining a product called Sybil. And Sybil is software for intelligent patient scheduling. And what that means is that Sybil identifies when each patient is most likely to show for an appointment and uses that insight to build a better schedule. A schedule that is more predictable, a schedule that increases access to care, and a schedule that reduces the number of times in the day when there are expensive gaps in the schedule and reduces those periods in the day when there are many patients waiting and waiting and waiting in the waiting room because they've all been booked for the same time slot.
0: That's fascinating. And through the work that you've done, you found that this is one of the biggest problems. And and you're right. It's definitely a huge issue. And so you've deployed a solution to help fight this problem, intelligence scheduling.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I want to emphasize, and and this is sort of one of the things that, that drives us as a company. And so when all of us think about machine learning, artificial intelligence, innovation in healthcare, probably what comes to mind, robots self-driving cars, things happening on Mars. And one of the strong beliefs in our company, and that I really want to emphasize, is that where innovation is both needed the most and has the greatest likelihood of actually making an impact are these issues at the very foundations of care, issues that touch operations, supply chain, scheduling, think of it as this is the roads and the airports of healthcare, right? This is the core building blocks that when they don't work, the whole system suffers. And when they work effectively, now you have a base that you can build on and you can build something which is much more efficient. And we would argue also more personalized and enables both better access to care and more personalized
0: care. And I love that you've focused your your efforts in this very niche area that, frankly, a lot of health systems, health executives, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably like, yeah, I'm definitely struggling with this. It's a billion dollar problem. There's a big loss of revenue due to people not showing up to their appointments. And so I think it's interesting that you guys decided to just niche down to this particular pain point.
1: Yeah. And part of it has to do with, again, this from our perspective, and this is what really, really excites us. This is a problem that we believe is solvable. And again, I'm I'm going to say maybe some, some controversial things here, but there are a number of, of issues in healthcare that particularly when you're new to healthcare as an entrepreneur and you look around and you see things that just don't make any sense. And if you're looking at that from an entrepreneurial mindset, you say, well, I should start a company and address this and this and this. And each one of these is maybe a $50 billion problem. But I think if you're humble and you observe carefully, you start to notice that many of those issues, you cannot solve them as an entrepreneur, even if you're enormously successful, because perhaps at some level, they are the result of policy or they're the result of a certain structure that's in place. And, you know, we could argue whether that's a good structure or a bad structure, but it's very often something that you cannot move, even if you're immensely successful as a company. And what our job as a startup and as a startup that wants to make an immediate impact, and I would argue that that's the job of every startup, our job is to find those points in healthcare where we can affect change. We can push the system towards Operating better, operating more efficiently, giving greater access to care to patients, because that's that's what we get excited about, right? We we want to do something where we can have an impact.
0: Absolutely, and listeners, uh, by the way, if you're curious, uh, if Benjamin has has hooked you at this point, which definitely probably has, hit pause and uh, go to gocivil dot com. You'll see a little quick video on on what the software does. For your scheduling, so it's g o s i b y l dot com. Check them out; they're definitely doing some very intriguing things to use AI to help you keep those patients in those slots that are scheduled for, whether they show up or not. So this is fantastic work uh, that you guys are are up to here, Benjamin. Looks like you guys even received a Grand Challenges Exploration Grant to deploy a version. Of it in East Africa by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.
1: Yeah, that's really, really exciting. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So we described here that this evolution, you know, we, we spent years in really up close to clinical questions. Our core technology has analyzed several million medical records and has learned from all of this. And then out of this came this manifestation of that, this product, which uses insight into patient behavior to build a better schedule, to better predict demand, and to build that schedule so you can make best use of existing resources. And off of the basis of that, we were awarded this very prestigious funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and USAID, which is the development art of the United States government, to design the first predictive supply chain for vaccines. And At a certain level, and and bear with me here as as I explain this, I see these really remarkable similarities. So our aim with this work is to increase the coverage, so increase the number of children who can access vaccines, and significantly cut the amount of vaccine wastage. And this is also a many, 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 many billion dollar a year problem. And it is also a problem which you can measure in terms of human lives. So just like in the United States, where if you have to wait weeks and months to access care because the scheduling doesn't work, and if you are particularly ill, your illness will become far more grave with that period of time. So if a child is brought to a facility and they've run out of that vaccine, that's an opportunity that you might lose forever. So our job is to analyze data which describes these different facilities and use that to predict exactly the right amount of each type of vaccine to be delivered to each clinic. No more and no less, because if you deliver too many vaccines, what happens is you're significantly increasing the likelihood that there will be wastage. Vaccines are very, very fragile. They live in these delicate glass files. They have to live uninterrupted in a very, very narrow temperature range. They're just really easily breakable. You deliver too few vaccines to a facility, and then you have this issue of people are coming, traveling to this facility to be vaccinated, and you have to turn them away. So you, this is really a case, again, where you want to exactly nail demand. You want to get a perfect sense of how many people are going to show up. And if you can get that right, you can make best use of existing resources.
0: Yeah. You know, it's super interesting project and talk about hypersensitive matter with the vaccines. I mean, you guys are definitely doing some cool work, Benjamin scheduling vaccines with the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation. This is super cool stuff that is making an impact. So I feel like as health leaders, we often learn more from our setbacks than the things that we've done right. And I'd love if you could just share one of the setbacks that you guys had and what you learned from it to make you guys stronger.
1: Sure. So I'll go again to back in time to the beginning of this company. And our first customer was Stanford. And at the same time, we were working with a leading academic medical center in New York City. And in both, at both institutions... And in both cases, these are these are world famous organizations. I mean, these are these are places that are at the at the very cutting edge of of care. And in both cases, we're working with with brilliant physicians and physician scientists. And, and I'm going to describe a bit sort of our again our our founding thesis and and how we changed that idea. But our basic concept again is that medicine is pattern recognition. So let's pretend here that. I'm a patient and I walk into your office and you're a brilliant physician and you look at me and you look at my chart and clicking away in your brain is this version of what we call patient similarity. So where have I seen a patient like Benjamin before? Have I read in the literature about a case like this? As a colleague in the hallway mentioned, you know, I saw a patient three weeks ago with this, 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 and this, and then that happened. And that is going to guide almost every point on the journey of care, prognosis, diagnosis, a notion of risk, a notion of which medication to prescribe when. And our founding idea was, let's bring scale and depth and muscle to this this pattern recognition that, that good doctors do. And let's take it across every record that sits in that organization so they can get the best sense of when have we seen a patient like this before and what happens? And what we underestimated to a great degree is the extent to which physicians have been forced to deal with technology that asks an enormous amount of them and delivers almost nothing. And because of that, rightfully so, and I will support them the whole way here, physicians are overwhelmingly wary of working with yet another piece of technology that will guide them during this complex process of clinical decision-making. And I think the other thing that we learned is that if we want to support that process of decision-making, we need to earn trust, and that that trust has to be built up incrementally, slowly. It might take years to build that trust, being inside that institution. um, And we believe innovating and improving on the very foundations of care. Because the other thing that we like about the points where we have focused is that very often there are very clear metrics that you can present. And you can point to the impact again, in a, in a very clear way, and that helps to build trust. So just to, to reiterate here, I think the the big mistake we made is we thought, well, this is transformative technology. Of course, physicians will want to use that. And we just mm-hmm. didn't understand enough about the day-to-day reality of what physicians have to do with technology and how, how much they dislike that interaction. And Again, speaking very, very broadly, for all of us on the side of the table who are building technology for healthcare, this is something that we have to think very carefully about. How do we gain that trust? And how do we deal with a community of users who are skeptical, and again, rightfully so, from the very beginning?
0: Yeah, you've you've brought up some great points, Benjamin. And I've done over four hundred interviews now and the topic of adoption, you know, and, and and getting clinicians to adopt a technology, you know, it just continues to resurface. And it sounds like after the journey of figuring that out, you've really gotten a a, a clear idea of how to, you know, number one address it. And number two, just meeting them where they are. And so what would you say the best way to do that is today? How have you guys done it? Because it's a problem for a lot of people.
1: That's a good point. So I would say, I mean, part of our answer to that is we are trying to make the day of every physician better, easier, and largely by working in the background. So our, our product Sybil is not something that a physician necessarily will interact with. Now, I've worked with many physicians who are extremely involved in scheduling because it impacts every second of their day. And they have very strong opinions about how that schedule should be structured. But our job, I think first and foremost from a physician perspective, is to make their day predictable. And I cannot overemphasize how important that is. So yeah. let's put aside for a second the financial impact. And again, this is $150 billion a year are lost in the U.S. alone to scheduling that doesn't work. That's a big number. That, that so happens to be what I believe to be the global cost.
0: I of, knew it was in the billions. Uh, I didn't know it was $150 billion. That's high. I mean,
1: this, is, this is more than what the world spends to care for patients with cancer. So we're, we're talking big, big, big numbers here. And let's put that aside for a second and let's put aside the access to care piece. And let's just think about how a physician goes through their day. And imagine trying to be efficient and imagine trying to do your best, which is what every provider of care wants to do, when if you have, for instance, five appointments scheduled for every day, you have no idea which patients are actually going to show up? Which means how do you prepare for that? Secondly, that means if we back out from that, how do you allocate additional resources? When when should what types of support? When should which types of nurses um, how should be available? When should the supply chain kick in? Um, when are certain goods necessary? And just that feeling of going in to work every day and not knowing how many people are going to walk through that door is very difficult to work with. And that's something that we learned an enormous amount about during this experience of deploying and working with different organizations. And that one of the things that came up over and over and over and over again is that this is literally driving our providers crazy. I mean, one of the things that they talk about all the time is just how destabilizing and difficult it is to do your job when you have no sense of what is going to happen in the next day, hour, two days. And the more predictable you make that schedule, the more in control of their day providers are, the better they can prepare, and the more efficient the whole system becomes.
0: Love it. Now, you definitely honed in in a big way, Benjamin. So kudos for you and your team for being so hyper-focused. It's definitely what's needed to move the needle in in this space for sure. So within all the things that you're doing today, what would you say an exciting project or focus is for you?
1: I'm very excited about these early deployments of CIVIL just because every time we work with an organization, we learn new things and this this sounds cliche to say but it's absolutely true i mean one of we recently sat with some schedulers in alaska and they shared their scheduling care that is very complex in many levels they're scheduling sequential care they're scheduling care oftentimes for a family because the distance traveled yeah. to the clinic is so great that maybe everybody is going to get in the car and all try to see this physical therapist, this occupational therapist, all in the same day. And so they have to find maybe four or five different types of appointments which are in this certain order and balance that with the availability of providers. And they shared with us that this can take them 45 minutes to put together a schedule. And Mm -hmm. we didn't build our software for that use case. We didn't think about, oh, well, this is going to save schedulers time. Our, Our goal is to increase access to care for patients and build a schedule which maximizes utilization. But we realized, well, if we can cut that down to a minute for a scheduler, that means a scheduler will have more time. And that means a scheduler could then spend his time, her time in what we believe is is the best use, which is engaging directly with patients. So imagine that the scheduler could then pick up a phone and personally call the patients who they're the most concerned about not showing up. And a personal phone call is so much more meaningful than getting a text message or totally. an automated reminder or an email. There's just, as human beings, we respond very strongly to human beings. And that's something that you can't do if you're spending 45 minutes to schedule an appointment.
0: Oh, it's such a great call out. And, and the, the journey is exciting. And, uh Benjamin, if people want to engage with your software, if they're curious about it, they're listening right now and they're like, okay, just tell me how I could get involved. Where do they go? They should
1: definitely go to the website that you just mentioned, com, and send me a note. So my first name, Benjamin, B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N, at macro-eyes.com. And I'd love to have a conversation.
0: Love that. So folks, the website, Benjamin's email, all those things I'll have them for you here on the show notes. Just go to outcomesrockethealth Sybil and Sybil is S-I-B-Y-L. So outcomesrockethealth Sybil and uh, you'll find a way to to get a hold of Benjamin and get started with this phenomenal scheduling platform. Benjamin, this has been a blast. Time flies when you're having fun. Would love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could follow the work that you're doing?
1: Well, I think that if I could share a closing thought, I'll I'll move a little bit more broadly to, to sort of what we've observed with working with a number of healthcare organizations, big, small. And the lesson that I'd love to get across to healthcare leaders is embrace risk. So understand risk, think about it carefully, but embrace the right type of risk. And there are very often opportunities to work with innovative companies like ours, and we're certainly not the only one out there, where the downside is very limited, but the upside is almost immeasurable. And maybe I'm sort of putting back on my, my hat from, from when I used to trade derivatives, but that's exactly <laughs> the type of risk that you want, right? You, you know the worst that can happen here is nothing. And that's it, right? Right. Yeah. Nothing collapses. No one gets fired. <laughs> but the best that could happen here is transformative, right? It's a transformation of of how we deliver care. And I would love to see more of that intelligent risk taking.
0: Love that call out. And folks, I know we've we've talked a lot about Sybil at GoSybil.com, dot com, but also check out Benjamin's company, Macro Eyes uh, Macro dot eyescom you'll see some of this thought process that he has shared. He's a thought leader in this space, applying what he did with derivatives into healthcare. We're always trying to manage risk. And I think it's a good opportunity for you to learn the philosophy that him and his leadership team are leading with here. So check them out, macro-eyes.com. But again, you could get that link and all of the rest. Just keep it simple. Go to outcomesrocket.health slash Sybil, S-I-B-Y-L, and you'll find everything there. Benjamin, truly appreciate the time you carved out for us. And we're excited for you. And we're excited to stay in touch.
1: Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful conversation.